Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is TV worth talking about. You didn't float up the wagon on a bubble. I'm veering towards muffins. Stop making a turkey self and piss off. This is Shrine of Duty. Hello and welcome to Shrine of Duty. I'm Brendan. I'm Hannah. And I'm Rebecca. What an episode, lads. I haven't been that stressed watching TV since Nadine Coyle got caught out lying about her date of birth. <laughs> Making me a I Gemini. Really... Making me a Gemini. I was only talking about that during the week because she was on Celebrity Bake Off. Do you remember the stress of it? Linda Martin was like, what date of birth did you say? She said the 8th of the 6th, 80s. Uh, what, what did I say? It was so good. And so she good. couldn't find her passport. And Craig was like, Jesus, she's been famous for years. He couldn't get over it. And I'm like, that's because she was on the X Factor when she was literally or on with the pop, pop stars. stars. Yeah. When she was like 11. Like, do you know what I mean? That's yeah. why we feel like she's been around forever and she's only 35. Because she was lying about right. 11 or 16. Uh, okay, this week in Line of Duty, we saw the return of Fruit of the Loom wearing Lee Banks and the return and final exit of a fine aging Fruit of the Loom wearing and very well tanned Jimmy Lakewell. Prison has been good to him. Sally Hansen contraband, I think. Martin Comston released his Bond audition tape to the world as Steve Arnott fired the perfect shot out of an upside-down Citron Berlingo. And an out-the-door Ted was shook and we were all pausing and rewinding when we found out Joe Davidson is a blood relative of... a nominal? More on that later. Thanks to everyone who sent in messages of concern this week about my Feminax addiction. I would like to clarify, I do not have an addiction to any painkiller. It was a brief flirtation with the drug of which they since changed the ingredients and it's not as good. Thanks also to everyone who emailed in suggestions of drugs that I should try instead. What? No, thank you. But thanks, all the same. Uh, Reb has your social theories this week, your lines of juicy what Jed said and a look at Carmichael's return. Hannah is on your um, recap this week. But just before we get to that, Hannah, you gave me some homework last week and that was to find out um, who is producing uh, Line of Duty this year. Because it's, yeah. it's an ongoing thing that every year the start is a different uh, production company. So um, a couple of people sent us screen grabs. It doesn't come up at the start of the episode anymore. It comes up at the end. They obviously changed it to the end because we were Because we trolled them. <laughs> Um, so, the, but there is a, a press release from the BBC this week uh, to do with Carmichael, which I think Rebecca will probably have later. But at the end of it, they have a paragraph which reads, Line of Duty is made by World Productions for BBC One and BBC iPlayer. Executive producers are Jeb Mercurio, Simon Heath for World Productions and Tommy Bolfin for BBC One. The series is made with support from Northern Ireland Screen and ITV Studios internationally distribute. 
Mother of God. So, so can you confirm content television is gone? Uh, yeah, I think. The, right. Yeah, we read something about that before. So it's World's Productions now. <laughs> but we do love World's Productions. No, fa- friends of the podcast, World Productions. Hello. Okay. Hannah. Go on. I have. Yeah. I've, so I've got all your email theories this week. But first, Hannah has your recap of Line of Duty Season 6, Episode Stress. Episode Stress, and I'm about to kick it off. But first, guys, how am I sounding? Oh, gorgeous. Sorry, we need to address the fact that you're no longer underwater. I'm no longer underwater. I no longer have a bag on my head. We were positively trolled by She was like, blind boy. In the words of (laughs) Bag of Chips, you sound much better. Thank you so much. Like I could never deal with fame because the two tweets that we got about the same that were really, really, like really nice. Just like guys love the podcast. Just would you mind looking at this? Like I think in tears. Like, so. Well, we Hannah, since bought, yeah, you've got a gorgeous microphone in front of you now, and you're also a, not in a car. I'm in a house. We've got a gorgeous new microphone. I'm sitting at a chair. At a desk, we've come a long way. Me and Rebecca did a number of Gail Vala style tests earlier on and then sent them to Brendan for his approval. It was very AC12 of us. And then we settled on this combination of audio, which I'm extremely happy with. So I'm expecting lots of great feedback this week. Can you imagine <laughs> if it sounded shite when Please. we went back and listened to it at the end? Please. Well, have we, we have listened to a bit at the start. Like it is okay, isn't it? Because yeah, it that's is what okay. happened last week. Yeah. I actually need to address that last week. We did not realise how that was going to sound until we finished speaking for an hour and a half and then we were like ah fuck it we'll just throw it up but to the people that had an actual fit over that you'd want to listen to Quarantelli which <laughs> oh no don't. <laughs> don't 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 listen to Quarantelli I, I'm quickly ta- I am quickly telling people about it it was an emergency podcast that we randomly started last year and if you think the audio last week was bad this was honestly something you, like that you will play in Guantanamo Bay like it was <laughs> torturous and we just put that out didn't give a shite guys we're doing the best we can we're in a pandemic we can't be together but we want to have we want to talk and we want to bring you this so here we are if i have a degree in sound engineering (laughs) (laughs) okay hannah lana duty season six episode stress the team at Hillside gather for a briefing from Joe. She is filling them in on the rotten apple that is Buckles and reminds them that nothing will affect their goal of catching Gail Vela's murderer. And it's time to go back and re-examine some overlooked leads, particularly the possibility that Gail was burgled on the night of her murder and Ryan is not impressed. Top of the class, Kate tells the team that there was no evidence of a break-in at Gail's home. No property was disturbed. She then reminds us that Gail was killed when the killer who lay in wait stepped up behind her and discharged the fatal shot asterisk that please thanks to files found in buckles car hillside now know that gail's keys were never found at the murder scene so it looks like the killer stole them and used them to get into her home we're looking for a murderer with great speed precision and calmness Chris then suggests a potential link between the Gail robbery and the armed robbery at Hickey's Bookies. He asks if Terry is still the prime suspect and Joe says we rule nothing in, nothing out. And one last thing, Joe is now active detective superintendent. For the purposes of continuity. 
for the purposes of Conti, very, like it worked out very well for her. So the team leave the briefing room, but Kate hangs back to ask Joe if she can look further into the firearms used at the robbery at the Bucky's. She then congratulates Joe on her promotion. And as Kate leaves, an anxious look crosses Joe's face. Later, Ryan stares at her through a window from the second floor at Hillside. They were flat out with these shots this week. He's 12. Remind- Literally the 12. seed of Chucky. <laughs> Literally, it's a horror film, reminding her that she has absolutely no reason to be happy about the new job title and the removal of buckles. Kate meets Ted in an underpass to discuss Ryan. Now, I was screaming at this because I'm like, this is the big reveal. Like, this is Kate. She was undercover all along. Well, only to have my heart shattered moments later. So Ted wants to start proceedings to pull Ryan from the team, which I think you said last week, uh, Brendan, is like, just fucking get him out of there. Just He's on probation. Get him out, exactly. Guys, he's a serial killer. Also, he's I just loved killer. that Ted was in the underpass this time because we always see Kate, Steve and formerly Dot. We've loved never it. seen Ted here and it was just really kind of, it's like when you saw your teacher outside of school. Yes. That was the vibe. Exactly. It was honestly <laughs> like, exactly it. you know, when you first start going out when you're 18, and yeah. you finally are legally able to go out and drink and you bump into a teacher in the nightclub. It was like that. that and he was so smartly dressed there, usually a bit more casual in the underpass. So Ted wants to pull Ryan off the team. Kate reminds him that they don't have enough evidence and she wants to keep observing. She suspects that he's been groomed by OCG and embedded in the force and doesn't want to lose that lead. Like, fair enough. Grand, says Ted. And then Ryan is going under AC12 surveillance. Ted then thanks Kate for working with AC12, saying, you made your choice to move on, and I know that the disciplinary action against me was a factor. Ted tells her, um, and Kate then says that she uh, working under him was difficult, and says that, um, oh, and Ted says with a sad smirk, so I only have myself to blame. And like, I kind of felt he didn't really have himself to blame because he was like stitched up as H. Like he didn't do any of that on purpose. Oh, I don't know. He burst into that club, went undercover with no authorization, rolled backwards over a hay bale and may have given a gun trigger signal to um, Lisa Lisa McQueen. McQueen. I don't Fair know. Enough, Brendan, mm. actually, now. <laughs> you guys, do you know the end? <laughs> you made a good argument there. Yeah, did. Do you know the end of this scene? There's basically this really lovely transition of the music into, into the, the beep. beep. Oh my God. If anyone likes Lady Gaga Chromatica, oh. you know that transition <laughs> yeah. between uh, Chromatica 2 and 911. Yeah. It was like that except in Line of Duty. It was. Oh my God. We need to get a mix of that. And speaking of beep, the next scene, it's the big buckles glass box spectacular, which we were waiting for all week. He is under arrest for preventing the course of justice and therefore doesn't need to be interviewed by an officer one rank senior. Ted, Steve and Chloe are overseeing proceedings and Buckles is already in a grey jumper and he hasn't even made it into Black Thor in prison yet. So that is foreshadowing at its finest. AC12 start by picking apart Deborah Devereaux's witness statement. Glamorous lady. Here we go. And although he tries to lie, it turns out her and Buckles are rather close. Back in 2012, Debs was arrested for assault on a neighbour. However, the victim soon withdrew her statement. The arresting officer suspected that the neighbour was intimidated and Buckles was the officer in charge of the case when all proceedings were dropped. AC12 then pulled Buckles' call history up from 2012 and it is very interesting indeed. (laughs) Calls to... Kingsgate, where he was working at the time, a Simon Anderson, nothing came up when I googled him, one DCI Gates, a Paul Gam- Campbell, and a Debbie or GT. Yeah, and there no. were a number. 
number of female names in Buckle's phone, which were followed by acronyms. Yeah. Other initialisms include FAF, NA and BJL. Now, now do we know what these stand for? Yeah, because I, I have a few I would assume it was really great tits. Oh, that'd be really great tits. Yeah, a nice ass. As fuck. Or not available. Oh, I thought that might have right. been like, don't text her. And then it's blowjob lips. Oh, yes. Okay, so I had really good time or real good time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> No, then I had fit as fuck. And then I had blowjob. And then I went long. <laughs> lips, Brendan. It's lips. What and was that? And has to well, I thought NA was not available, but you thought nice ass. So I thought he put it out to be like, don't text her at the moment. It could be either, but, but I'd say it's nice ass. Either or. It's nice ass because it's fitting in with the theme. And Ted is literally <laughs> appalled. Like, and a man of his age as well. It's just not how you behave. Imagine having to sit there and work in it's that It's not job. okay. But considering the program has a history of using acronyms to confuse us all, I think it's quite funny it from was, that point. Yes, yes. It's yeah. hilarious. And I have to admit that I was on the buckles is not stupid he's actually just playing like calling our bluff but he's a fucking dope now I have to admit oh from god I felt kind of bad for the highest order but Hannah you know what when I was live, I was live tweeting this episode so I completely missed what was on Brittany. the text message the text between buckles amazing and Debbie oh, and this is my first line of juicy of the episode will you show me your truncheon jeez <laughs> And then he replies and says, yeah, and me helmet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Now, guys, everyone is sitting in the AC12 glass box. No one knows where to S&M. look like it's desperate. <laughs> um, so Buckles conveniently doesn't remember what the acronyms mean. And then AC12 show him some sex, which were sent four days before her criminal proceedings were dropped. So lo and behold, Debbie is back in 2020 to claim that she witnessed Terry Boyle chatting to the Chiz about Gail's murder. Buckles tries to blame Chris, saying that it was Chris that took that evidence from her. Ted is beside himself now at this point. Debbie does Buckles. <laughs> Buckles is worried and swears he hasn't seen Debbie since his time at Kingsgate and I actually believed him I don't think he has I don't think he did any of this I think the OCG or Joe or whoever else is pulling the strings here had all this information and set him up massively so he claims he's being victimised and Ted reminds him you're being investigated Detective Superintendent uh, Detective Superintendent investigated by fear or favour so Chloe puts operation uh, puts an Operation Lighthouse timeline on the screen, beginning what, in what we saw was episode one, Hillside getting the intel from the Chiz. And then they pull buckles up on a number of things. So I've just bullet pointed them here. So his delay in following the Chiz's A1 intelligence on the night it came in. Ted calls him a decision dodger. Do you remember? He was like, look, I want to look more into this. The Chiz might be a sex worker. I don't find him trustworthy. I love so, that Joe, line that he said. Ted's like, you know, I'm long enough in the tooth to recognise a decision dodger when I see one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that could be a line of juicy in itself. Uh, oh, yes. Lovely. Um, so the mess up in surveillance on Ross Turner's address, which saw it removed for three hours and 25 minutes, it was when the law, the wrong uh, legal authority was given. And AC12 suggests that this lax in surveillance was when Terry Boyle was swapped in for Carl Banks. Buckle says there's no evidence and Ted snaps back. Now, do we have this as a line of juicy? 
what did it, you know oh, you go is this when and he says no evidence I'll give you no evidence and he's very scary here guys um but we actually learned so I thought that that was Buckles that gave that wrong authority but someone pointed out to us on Twitter it's actually Joe no. yeah she so asked this is, for the wrong authority so Buckles never yes. mixed it up she actually asked for the wrong one exactly so it's him all up. her exactly so I think he's been set up like before I thought like he was dodgy but he was clever but now I think he actually didn't really have anything to do with this he's just being set up every step of the way so Steve reminds Buckles that Carl Banks and the Chase are now dead leaving Terry Boyle as the only witness but not for want of trying because he was driven into a bleeding lake in a police car and two days later Buckles put the only surviving officer up for commendation and Chloe pulls up the photo of him and Ryan and the two of them are jokes <laughs> they're like smiling happy as you like Steve then asked Buckles had he ever met Ryan before he joined the hill he says no they quickly pull up the baby bent bastards rap sheet Buckles now he looks genuinely shocked yeah, here he does, and tells yeah. them doesn't he and he tells them to blame betting which in fairness um, however Ryan was repeatedly served at Kingsgate police station when Buckles worked there as a child Ryan as a child Buckles didn't work there as a child obviously <laughs> um, but Buckles snaps back to remind AC12 that Kate also worked there during that period so he's kind of like well how long did it take her to notice him like I I haven't noticed him I didn't put two and two together lastly Buckle swears he didn't replace Farida an experienced sergeant with Ryan a new officer on probation he actually makes out that this was ridiculous and that he didn't ask for Ryan to come to the force he's like why would I put myself down a really experienced officer for like literally a murder or on probation yeah I I felt here though I was like why didn't they push him here on who actually did organize it It was really frustrating I know it's better for storytelling we'll find that out later but I felt like the most natural question there would be well if you didn't do it who did then who did yeah yeah, you're so right. I suppose one way you could explain that away is that he's already arrested. The evidence is mounted up against him. And maybe that's something that they'll go and interview him in Blackthorn yeah. during the next episode and get that information then. But that it that would have been the natural next question. And it was the one we were all shouting at yeah. the telly. And like Steve has been framed before. Like they should be knowing that this can be happening. Yeah, and it's quite obvious. So AC12 put it to Buckles that he ignored the obvious OCG links to Gail's Bell, Gail Vella's murder. He asks, if there was links, do you not think somebody would have pointed it out to me? Now, like, you, you are the, te- the detective superintendent of the hillside. Like, why do you need to point it out to you? Do you not have that information in front of you? Like, he is just a lazy bollocks, I think, to be honest. Um, and then Steve is furious and he says, they have done. That's when we see the crucial Gail Vella files in the boot of Buckle's car because Chloe pulls up a photograph. They're under his golf bag. Like the golf clubs. And the car um, is also a golf. Yeah, the car is a golf. It's so funny. Like, um, And those files have been missing since AC12 initially raided the hill about two episodes ago. So Buckles doesn't know how he got there and he's crumbling at this point. He knows he's been stitched up and there's no way out. Steve also knows this and Buckles is charged. Later, Steve meets Kate in a dark car park. He tells her that Buckles couldn't have organised a piss-up in a brewery. She suggests that this is his cover and that AC12 have got their man. Steve is uh, suspicious about Joe, but Kate defends her, telling Steve that AC12 makes you paranoid about everyone. Now, guys, 
I don't want to admit this, but when I watched that scene, I was like, Kate is bent. Yeah, I, I thought the exact same. I thought the exact same. Can we just go back to Buckle's um, glass box spectacular for one second? There's go a back. couple, I think there's a couple of lines of juicy in here. So oh my God, I at, at one point, Ted says to um, Buckle's like, you know, I think he might say something along the lines of we're interested in one thing and one thing only. And Buckle turned around and goes, yeah, I know you've been singing the same line for the last, the best part of a decade, which I think is <laughs> hilarious. Yes. And I think Reb has another uh, one. So funny. And then at the very end of the interview, when I started to feel very bad for Buckle's, when he said, I don't know why I don't know. Yeah, that made oh. me feel really sad for him. Well, he did a little a small cry and he looked so scared. He was just like, I don't um, know why I don't know. Guys, I don't know why, yeah. but I really love Buckles. And I know I he's a real lad and I'd hate him probably in real life. I wouldn't, you know, gravitate towards someone like that who writes things like FAF, F-A-F. beside someone's name in their phone. But yeah, I, I felt really bad for him. They've made him quite likeable. Like he is just a bumbling idiot. Yeah. Um. Also, in real life, Buckles had a baby this week. Oh, Exciting congratulations. Actor Nigel Boyle saw that on Twitter. That's just gorge. Um, um, in the car, though, I agree with you, Kate. I was like, she yes. be bent. She was just very much like, well done on Buckles. That's a wrap. Don't look That's into anything else. Man. Move on. Yeah, and she's Yeah, it was very... Jill Bigelow talk like she'd be like got the guy done and dusted but I suppose there's ambiguity there because she does have feelings for Joe or works under Joe that you could argue that she's just protecting her friend lover but I don't know how I feel about Kate guys and then Buckles made that point in the scene before that she also worked at Kingsgate when Ryan was charged repeatedly um, over the course of about three years. What were you going to say, Reb? Yeah, I just felt like her feelings for Joe were probably getting in the way, but also she seems to be quite conflicted. She's like, almost doesn't want to go back to AC12 and she's like, well, you guys always just feel like every copper is bent when actually they're all decent people. And yeah, I just feel like she's very conflicted now that she's back in cahoots with Ted and everything. I, I... I don't know, like, there's been so many times I've thought maybe Kate was in on it, but I think that Buckle saying that Kate was there is just him deflecting, being like, well, she interviewed him too, so there's your explanation of why I didn't know who he was. Yeah. Yeah, it's all, you can explain it all away, but I'm just, I don't mm. know what to think about Kate no. at the moment. I feel like she's playing her own game. I, I feel like she's still trying to, so, I don't know, but I think it's putting her in danger if she's not telling anyone what she's up to. Yeah, as you would say, Reb, she is in danger, girl. So Buckles is moved to Blackthorn Prison, one grey jumper for another. He is locked in his cell as a prison officer stares him down. Later, Ted meets Andrea Wise and Rohanson Wandy for a meeting in the big wooden room. Now, they are fuming that he didn't warn them of his plan to charge Buckles. Ted tells Andrea that it's important to use the utmost discretion around anti-corruption cases and then throws a look at Rohan, who's absolutely snapping. Ted makes a gorgeous speech about wrongdoing on public trust and then Rohan stands up and buttons his suit jacket and says to Ted, you must have been living in a different country the past few years. Andrea, you've been briefed. And then he marches out of the room. So Andrea reminds Ted that he was on his final warning and then she delivers the final blow. You have become unable to lead your team, she says. He's done his 30 years. He will be permitted to retire in his full pension, avoiding any or the um, ignominy of disciplinary action. And the attacks continue. She reveals that AC3, AC9 and AC12 will merge into one unit under the chief constable with 90% of the numbers of staff being cut. 90. We then get a pa- 90%. <laughs> two people left. 
We then get a passionately delivered line of juicy. Do you have it, guys? Is this when they're talking about Osborne? Yes. And Ted says, God, give me strength. A barefaced liar promoted to our highest office. And he later says, what has happened to us? When did we stop caring about honesty and integrity? That's it, Reb. Ted has one month left, but he is not going before he delivers what I have called a speech of juicy. He tells Andrea that his decision is a capitulation to criminality and corruption, her decision. And then he says, what has happened to us? It's not a rhetorical question, ma'am. What has happened to us? When did we stop caring about honesty and integrity? And a devastated Ted leaves police HQ under the watchful eye of Rohanson Wandy, who is staring from two flights up. Somebody tweeted us last week and suggested we could call the line of Juicy of the week the sublime of Juicy. <gasps> that that okay, whole speech. Good, isn't it? Thank you to whoever suggested that. That whole speech we, was a sublime yeah. of Juicy, wasn't it? That was the sublime of Juicy. You just can't beat it. It was Tedism after Tedism. It was delivered so passionately. It was so heartbreaking and it's just reminding us that if he is removed from office and is forced to retire, like what we'll miss. Okay, so we're back at the hill and Chris is briefing Kate on the firearms used at the Hickey's Bookies robbery. They chat about Gail's murder. So I found this a bit confusing on the first two watches. It took me till the third one to get what was actually going on. So a bullet cartridge was found at the scene of Gail's murder and Chris is asking why the murderer didn't take the evidence with him. Kate reminds him that it would have been dark, first of all, and hard to see. Also, you only need to dispose of a weapon if it's traceable. So Chris presents evidence to suggest that the gun was made in a warehouse, deeming it untraceable. But then none of the firearms used in the Bucky's uh, robbery were warehoused. So unfortunately, the no connection between them. Now, obviously, I'd be a shy police officer because I would have left it there. But Kate's suspicious about this. So they pull in Jake for an interview. Now, Jake is the floppy haired robber who caught his little 15 seconds of fame when they pulled off his balaclava in episode one. And we were all like, why are we focusing on him for a little bit longer? He's the guy I I paused on in the trailer before it even started. That's him. And we were like, it's Kate's son. It's this person. It, no, it's just this person that we need to remember. It's Joe's next relative. Literally. <laughs> so they grill him about the guns and they learn that the young robbers were provided with the firearms. They were left waiting for them along with the van, which they picked up in an industrial estate. Kate then asks Jake if the guns were warehoused. And Jake admits by default saying that him and his friends thought the guns looked risky. So they left them behind. So... They were actually due to use warehouse guns at the Bucky's robbery, which would have connected that robbery to Gail Vela's murder. But when they looked at the guns, they were like, they look like they're going to fucking blow backwards or something. <laughs> so we're not taking them. And Kate just like had a, like an idea that that might have been the case and pulled Jake in for questioning. So I didn't get that at all at the start, but that's why. And Joe was watching this on a monitor and she looks very worried. So later, she watches on as AC-12 raid Farida's house. It's all dark and she's hiding in a bush and the forensics are searching for fingerprints and Davidson knows that the gig might be up. So she returns to her lair to no response from the OCG via MSN from her original message, which was all under control now. So she sends two more messages, job done and I'm finished. And then she fires the laptop on the ground. Oh. And Mind Joe the parquet flooring. 
Seriously, <laughs> Joe throws things when she's upset. Like we've seen this before when she threw the wine glass at the photo of her and her mother, which I thought is a very nice character trait. They are furnishings that must be protected at all costs. At all costs. Take it easy, Joe. But also, I found here as well that her saying "I'm done now" too was very like when Dot was like "I'm finished, job done," and I'm like, "You're, ne- you're never done." Pet. It's only going one way, mate. Yeah. Guys, that's it. And they do love a throwback in line of duty. Do you know what I mean? So Kate is at AC12 for a briefing on Ryan's surveillance with Chloe, Ted and Steve. He was only outside bleeding for Frederico's bar when Joe and Kate were on a date. And then Steve looks sideways at his mate because I think he's like, what? So while Ryan reached out to the OCG, um, He's, oh, I don't actually could not tell you what I wrote down there. So we'll just skip that. <laughs> I think I meant to say that they are like, Ryan could be reaching out to the OCG or he could be trying to meet up with Joe. But then Kate's like, no, he's clearly just trailing her. So let's see what I've written next. It's a real surprise. So Chloe then <laughs> reminds the room that AC12's resources are strained and they don't have the manpower to follow the bent bastard constantly. Put a little asterisk there. Here we go. This is, I think, what I was trying to say. Kate determines that Ryan is watching Joe. Steve reminds her that he could also be meeting up with her, a theory that Kate is not impressed with. Kate tells Ted that Joe qualifies for a warning, but Ted denies it. He then says, I just want to say, oh, is this a line of juicy? You you go for it, love. No, you do it. It's your moment. No, I, I don't have it. Then here I go. <laughs> I just want to say we may not solve this in a few weeks or even a few months. There really isn't any telling if you're going to see something like this through. I'm just counting on all of you to carry the fire before he leaves the room to take a deep breath while standing beside a window. So Steve meets Nicola Rogerson outside a cafe Nero in a shot that was I mean, it's very COVID friendly. Post COVID, yeah, it was exactly. so COVID friendly. That yeah. indoor dining was not open. No. And all the tables are about six feet away from each other. And she's like, is outside okay? So he apologizes for not coming back to her about his transfer. He's been made a DI and wants to put the move on hold and she pops off to order their usual. She's very friendly. So back in AC12, Steve, and I missed this the first two times, gets an urgent email from Occupational Health. They're pulling him in for an appointment following his drug test. He deletes the mail just before Chloe and Amanda Yow, cybercrime, arrive at the Dave. I actually love her. I don't know why. I think she's an icon. Because Gail Vella's personal laptops were wiped, Amanda Yao, cybercrime, had a look at her work computer and found another audio file. So in pop Ted, Steve and Chloe into the special room to listen to the audio file and it's Jimmy Lakewell again. Jimmy says, sometimes the police lie for understandable reasons and then we get a listen to the rest of it. So Jimmy and Gail are talking about a case of mistaken identity um, when a man called Kareem was shot dead in his home. Now Steve was actually a part of this failed operation all the way back in season one. His failure to cover up for now Chief Constable Philip Osborne is what Ted saw in him and seeked him out to join anti-corruption. Jimmy calls it a police cover-up designed to mitigate reputational damage. Now, Jimmy Lakewell has the most beautiful reading voice, I feel. Do you guys agree? Yeah, absolutely. He's a really broad range of vocabulary. <laughs> Fabulous. All of like, us wonder... gushing over Jimmy Lakewell. I mean, <laughs> Help me, I wonder, Jimmy. does he do audiobooks? Um 
Okay, so Ted remarks that the speaker, who they still have in place at this moment, likes the sound of his own voice. I wouldn't blame him now, to be honest, (laughs) if I sounded like that. We then hear Bella reassure her source that his voice will be disguised if it goes to the podcast. The conversation then moves on to Roz Huntley's Operation Trapdoor. And once Jimmy mentions Balaclava men... Steve knows who it is. So we're back at the hill and Kate is discussing Ryan with Joe. She tells her boss that there are holes in the account from the incident at the lake. She then reveals that Ryan is spying on Joe and that she spotted him outside a pub the other night. So she's still covering up for AC12, but she wants to let her special mate know that she might be in danger. Yeah. So Joe rubs Kate arm, Kate's arm again before Kate pulls away. Also, just Later, before she said that to her, Kate yeah. went, I need a word with you. And Joe was like, is everything okay? And Kate goes, oh, it's nothing personal. It's uh, professional. Yeah, yeah. And then she rubs her arm. So I'm like, now it could be that they're totally throwing it in to wind us up still. But she does go, oh, I've so- I need to talk to you. And she's like, oh, it's nothing personal. It's professional. So it could be there just to piss us off. Or it could be a signal that, the relationship's moving on there, past the, the point of professional. M- or there's, there is a, rela- uh, a romantic relationship there that we still haven't seen. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. I think that was definitely hinted, especially with the arm rub. So later, Joe pulls Ryan into her office. She tells him that while she will try and get his accommodation sorted, even though Buckles has been arrested, that he will be moving off her team and he delivers a bone-chilling stare. Guys, so, that yeah, stare... Like he's if, very good. If looks could kill, he would have killed her and the millions of people watching through their television sets. She'd have been brown bread. Yeah, it was. I would shit myself if I was her. Also, I'd sorry, television sets. House. Is it nineteen sixty? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> okay, so Steve and Chloe are at Blackthorn to interview. Jimmy Lakewell, Mr. Charisma, the silver fox himself, looking very well. He denies ever meeting or speaking to Gail Vella, but they have his prisoner call logs and his voice on the recording. And then he says, like throwing a dig at AC12, a line of juicy here. Um, I was screaming when he said, when Steve is like, the last time I met you, I was in a wheelchair and Lakewell replies, <laughs> I thought you looked taller, relatively. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> So shady. Do you have his other little dig at AC12? Yeah, because uh, Steve goes, oh yeah, you know, we were attempting. And he's just like, always attempting, never achieving. Like the bastard. So Steve wants to know what fella was digging into. Was it something that got her killed? But Jimmy isn't talking and back to his cell he goes. Back at AC12, Ted, Steve and Chloe discussed the Jimmy interview. Steve suggests that he's scared to talk around prison officers, most likely placed there by the OCG. But Steve's got a plan to get the info out of him. Here we go. Now, this is where I sat up in my chair and I was really nervous because the BBC had been flat out hinting all week that someone is going to die. And I thought Steve was a goner as yeah, I previously same. predicted. Oh my God. I don't, think I, I don't think I took a breath for minutes on end. But also, I'd say one same. thing as well. Jimmy, the big thing that Jimmy said was that he's referring to a racist element within the police yes. force. Brilliant, yeah, observation. I forgot to add that. So here we go. A white van sandwiched by two smaller black vans pull up outside Blackthorn Prison. Chloe and a group of AFOs wait in the black vans while Steve hops into the white van waiting for Jimmy Lakewell who is delivered in cuffs presumably by a prison officer. Steve then offers him four words. Immunity! 
and witness protection in exchange for information and he's all the files ready in a gorgeous folder. Jimmy has just spent his last night in prison. He is off into the sunset with a new name and a new life if he tells AC12 what they want to know. But Jimmy has doubts. He's getting well treated in prison. He's got OCG protection. He's got a gorgeous cell, which I noticed had actually a gorgeous wooden floor. But Steve reminds him that it is nothing compared to his old life of glam hotels and Michelin star restaurants. I mean, he really wouldn't do well during the pandemic. So now Jimmy says to Steve, as you know, D.I.R. it, anything I say in these circumstances wouldn't be evidential. And Steve replies with a realizing look in his eyes and goes, therefore, no one could know where it came from. Then we get a fabulous drone shot and they were flat out with the drone this week. And then a shot of Chloe, <laughs> who in the style of Joe Davidson, spots a suspect vehicle down the side street. But I want to just put an asterisk yeah. to those shots and just to come back to them. So... Like Joe, Chloe was right to be suspicious because we get our first ambush of the season. OCG black Range Rovers appear and surround the convoy. The white van is then knocked sideways and Steve's back at an awful bang, guys. Honestly, of whack. Feminax is not going to fix that. Nothing. A James Bond style shootout begins. It is OCG versus AFOs. Chloe radios Steve, who authorizes that she evacuates him and Jimmy from the upturned van. Chloe makes it to the vehicle with Sergeant Ruby Jones, nicknamed Jonesy. It looks like she's Kyle's replacement. Where the fuck is Kyle? Because I was very suspicious about him last season. Yes. She like we I need to look is that an IMDB casting issue or has something gone on with Kyle she manages to pull open the side door of the van which is now laying sideways but not before she's gone down by a sniper in a nearby building Steve then radios for backup stating that the OCG's target is Windermere which is obviously a gorge nickname for Jimmy Lakewell which I googled because knowing Jed he goes deep with this stuff it's a large yeah it's a lake, it's a large lake in the Lake District, so maybe that's just a throwback to Ryan driving that police car into a lake and killing poor Lisa. So the gunfire continues with Steve and Jimmy now trapped inside the open van in direct line with the sniper. I thought Steve was oh a god. I thought he was a goner, I didn't breathe for minutes. Oh. Gone. Oh my god. However, Steve finds his inner bond, does a gorge roll, and then take that sniper out with one bullet to the head. It was the fucking coolest thing ever. It was honestly like a video game. I'm so proud of Martin Compton. No wonder they've all been falling over themselves over this episode because that was unreal. So the OCG are defeated. None of the big three are gone, but we have lost Jonesy. In fairness, it was our first episode, so RIP love, but we'll move on. <laughs> and then a stunning drone shot. Yeah, I wasn't like shot. that emotionally involved with Jonesy. Do you know what I mean? Ah, oh, come on. Like it was like I went back to see like is that someone that was like, you know, in season one or two and I just don't remember, but literally one and gone, one episode in, gone. Guys, so also stunning. that aerial shot at the end with the train. It's really good, oh, isn't it? Oh my That's god. So like a stunning drone shot pans out from the three vehicles and you just see the blood, Jonesy's blood. You see some dead um, OCG members. You see all the vans on their side and then perfectly timed. That train just goes past as if to represent that life goes on. I just thought that was beautiful. Oh, I didn't think that deeply about it, but that's lovely. 
that's it. It's just like all those people on that train don't know what's just gone on there and they're just going to go home. Obviously read it on the news later on be shocked since I tell everyone they were there. But at the same time, <laughs> just their life goes on. I thought that was lovely. And I also saw someone point out on Twitter that like they like they didn't make that train go past. Like the producers of Line of Duty didn't ring up the bleeding like national train line for England. They just had to time that and hope that it worked. Yeah, did they check the train times or did they put it in afterwards? Well, I don't know. Maybe someone could confirm that. Was that like a CGI train? A CGI even a thing? Oh my anymore? God. It was absolutely phenomenal. But guys, that whole scene alone is why Line of Duty is is the best ever. Like it was yeah. absolutely incredible. And I know there was a lot of hype about this episode. Um, so we were, were all expecting something very big. But it, mm. was, it, was, it was very up there with season six episode, no, season three episode six with Dot and the yeah. truck and Kate and all that. It was that level, wasn't it? And do you guys feel like it reached the hype? Because sometimes when you hype something up so much, your expectations go wild in your subconscious. I've, and then when it happens, you're like, oh. It was, a, it was a really, really good episode. I did feel like the teasing that was happening on social the whole week long was pointing to the fact that one of the main characters yeah. would die. But like even a main character from this season. So whether that be Chris or Joe or Ryan. Yeah. Um, so I was expecting a, a, a more prominent character to die. Yes. Now so I, I. I am worried that they didn't do that last week because they're going to do it when we least expect Surprise, it. Surprise, bitch. That's, you know, but the problem is yeah. people are always going to tweet when they've seen an episode and insinuate it. And in a way, I don't, I don't like knowing too much before you go into it. I get it's great when you know a character's returning, whatever, but I don't like knowing too much. If I just watched that not knowing that the episode was going to be so crazy, I think I would have literally, like my Fitbit would have been... The guy, I was Gone. I was physically stressed yeah. like I could I felt the right left side of my body go really tense like oh. I was concerned about my health Guys, I was stressed from honestly about Thursday I was I'm like oh every stressed. time I thought about Sunday night I was like someone's gonna get killed someone's gonna, like it was really stressful for the whole week yeah. and while <laughs> I agree with you Brendan that I was like okay they definitely let on that one of the big three or you know at least one of the bigger characters was going to get killed I still actually wasn't disappointed that it didn't happen which I think is a credit to the show because that was still really cool yes. and I do think certain people are fucked like to be honest that episode still told us that Ted's on the way out that Steve is getting in shite with occupational health potentially be fired and now I also I'm kind of gone over to the Kate is bent bandwagon so yeah. I'm like maybe I did lose one of the big and three and Ryan's going to murder somebody Kate, Joe Chris, somebody. Yeah. Um, okay, let me pick up where we left off. We're nearly done. So Jimmy Lakewell is brought to an interview room at AC12 and an exhausted Steve and Chloe insist on sticking around for his interrogation. Actually, will we just talk really quickly about Chloe spotting that Range Rover? Uh, we have Does that in theories, know? I think. Will we talk about it then? That would be gorge. So Chloe reports that the guns found at the scene were workshopped. Ted arrives and the three discuss the ambush. Chloe suggests the leak could have come from HC12, brave move, but settled that the OCG have prison officers in their pocket instead. So the three sit down to interview Jimmy, but he's refusing to speak. He'll never speak. And in fairness to him, he has said this before. The last time we saw him, he said, you will never get a word out of me. There are some people there is no protection from, says Jimmy. And do you have a line of juicy here, guys? And then he says to Steve, he's like, and I didn't speak, did I, Steve? Yeah, And then there's just a look. And Ted does this Oprah Winfrey impression there. So basically Jimmy goes, right, there are some people (laughs) there is no protection from. And Ted goes, people. 
or a or person. person. And I just were you that silent? Thinking. Were you or silent? You silenced? Or were you saw? Do you know what I? I was doing the hand motions. People. <laughs> or person and Jimmy is not budging and a frustrated Steve asks do you really think you'll be safe in prison which I mean we were all asking and Jimmy says he hopes so as they'll know he didn't talk that's the right isn't it D.I. Arnett I didn't talk Arnett gives Jimmy a knowing nod and Jimmy apologizes now are we all in agreement that they had a full conversation in the back of that van? Just, uh, yeah, Jimmy Lakewell told Steve what Gail Vella was investigating in the back of that perfect. van after Steve said it can't be used in evidence. But I'm also like, Jimmy, why were you so silly to think that if you went back to prison, you'd be grand? Why didn't you accept the witness protection? Like you're going, you're, maybe he knew he was a goner either Imagine way. Imagine if you went into witness protection because- and you ended up in the same complex as Jill Bigelow. Imagine like... The They'd be great together. They could have sailed off into the sunset together. Yeah. Sorry, guys. They would have been an unbelievable couple. Are you joking? But Jimmy, like, he's got a very cushy cell. He said the OCG are looking after him. He's obviously very confident with his life in prison. Um, but I really liked how in the back of that van, it looked like they were going to talk. Then we went to the drone shot. Then we went to the Chloe shot. Then there was a little bit of driving. So yeah, it gave time. time. Yeah, there was there time. There was time. Okay, I'm so glad we agree because I was watching it with Craig and he didn't pick up on that at all. And I'm like, no, I, I fully think it's the storyline that they've had a conversation and now Steve has this gorgeous secret intel. So it's nighttime and Joe parks outside her apartment and heads to her front door, but not before Ryan appears from nowhere with a gun to her head and he pushes her inside and tells her that he will not be posted from her team. Very similar to the way Gail Vella died, guys, mm-hmm. going to the back of the head, of which Vicky, um, Kate reminded us to Chris at the start of the episode. The next morning, Joe waits for Kate outside the hill. I think she's a bit scared to go in on her own. Kate brings her up, uh, or Kate brings up her concerns with Ryan once again, but Joe has all her defenses ready. And she then gets really dirty with Kate, implying that if Kate keeps pushing her issues at Ryan, Joe will have to look into why Kate was at the lake that night and failed to call for backup, resulting in the death of Lisa. So Jimmy is back in Blackthorn and Buckles is his new bunkie, which I innocently was so excited for those two to be in the cell together. Shaking like a leaf. Exactly, Reb. Something doesn't look right. There's only one bed and Buckles' hands are shaking pretty badly. Next thing we know, it's bleeding Lee Banks and he arrives in to strangle Jimmy to death in the cell while a prison officer conveniently shuts the door. That was a nice addition just to say they're all bent in there and no one is safe. And now you watch what happens to a rat. Oh, go on. It was perfectly timed, Hannah. Well done. No, do it again. Now you watch what happens to a rat. Poor Buckles. He couldn't get the milk into that tea, lads. He couldn't even look. I would shit myself. In fairness, I do think Buckles is a big idiot now and well done for everyone that's been saying it for 10 years. And he makes um, a shy cup of tea. And he doesn't know why he's in there. Like, he literally does not know what happened. He thought he had a cushy job doing his golf. Everyone done the work for him and he kept getting promotions. He did not put two and two together and now his life is fucked. So in AC12, Steve deletes another email from Occupational Health. Chloe then arrives with the DNA from Farida's house and Steve can't believe his eyes. Back at the hill, Ryan informs Joe that James Lakewell was found dead at Blackthorn. Joe asks for the cause of death and Ryan replies, Being a rat, ma'am. Oh, I thought that was so scary. Um, and she's also, on the he's 12. Like, fuck off, you absolute child. 
child psychopath. Um, so Steve and Chloe briefed Ted on their DNA findings. Joe Davidson's DNA was all over that house and Ted is delighted that they can catch her out in her lies. However, that is not all they found. Steve reveals two important pieces of information. Number one, all officers have their DNA stored in a system to rule them out from crime scenes. Makes sense. However, this DNA isn't always checked when an officer joins the force. Number two, the DNA found at Farida's house wasn't just checked against police DNA because they weren't going into that house thinking we're going to find Joe's DNA. They were just going into the house thinking, let's see what DNA we can find. So they checked it against the huge database of people. And there was a match. The analysis detected partial matches to a nominal whose DNA is stored on other databases. Joe is blood relative and the individual is known to AC12. And Ted delivers the final line and also a line of juicy of the episode. Mother of God. And guys, it was the it was the most passionate mother of God Ted Hastings has ever uttered. He has Seriously. to know straight away exactly the strong connection to someone he's met before or an AC12 case they've worked on. And also when Steve turns over the page, he says he's he, identified yeah, over him. the page. Oh, so I'm a big dope and I watched this three times and I joined the recap this week and I still got overly excited. First of all, I got overly excited on Sunday night and tweeted out that I thought it was Tommy Hunter, which I now don't think is the case. Then today I got overly excited again when they revealed that Patricia Carmichael is coming back on Sunday and tweeted out that I thought Patricia and Joe might be related, which obviously it isn't because it's an effing he and I wish I could just take a breath before I tweet things. I'll also tell you guys really quickly that a nominal is an individual who has convicted of a recordable offence could also be someone who was cautioned, reprimanded, warned or arrested for an offence. So it's yeah. not just, it can't be an officer. It has to have been someone that's been in trouble. Yeah. Uh, Hannah, that was a fantastic recap of episode six, season, no, season six, episode stress. Thank you so much. Well done, Hannah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, will we do some email theories? 
Would love to do that. I would love to hear what people think. Okay, so a lot of emails this week. Obviously, the main thing that people emailed us about is the DNA match. So we're going to get to those. Uh, but first, a lot of emails as well this week from people saying that Jimmy Lakewell definitely told Steve what Gail was investigating before the van was run off the road. So hello to all of you and thank you. Um, as we said there, Hannah, uh, somebody pointing out that um, the second that Steve says what you say here wouldn't be admissible in court. The camera cuts away and we're we're in the sky with the drone. We're with Chloe and those. So there was there was time. And then uh, again, at the end, in that uh, one of the final scenes with Ted, uh, Jimmy says, I didn't talk, did I, Steve? And Steve nods. Um, also, a lot of talk in the emails this week of the recurring mention of rotten apples. That phrase keeps getting used. And wow, chicka, wow, wow. <laughs> and a few people, including Susanna Kyo and Anthony Arnott, Arnett, both hoping uh, this could signal at the very least a quick visit to Bomb Chicka Watwa. They're saying that somebody could go and visit her and witness protection as she may hold information that could help. She knows loads. She knows loads. Her hair is so big it's full of secrets. It is full of secrets. Imagine if they went to her shitty little house on the sea and interviewed her. I'd literally die. And she's on this like, you know, like this flat looking sofa. With Guys, flat hair. I would honestly down a bottle of gin and tonics if I saw her back on the screen. I have to take the day off work. Um, a lot the of emails. A lot of emails guffawing at buckles, uh, truncheon, and helmet. <laughs> uh, Catherine Grill says, "Kate, oh yeah, so this um, happens." Kate basically is quite quick to suggest that Ryan is following Joe. So this is when they're having that talk about surveillance and Ted says there's no need to alert her. So Kate is like, oh, you know, Ryan is following Joe. So Catherine says, we've had hints all series there's something going on between Joe and Kate. They've been spending more time together than the viewer has witnessed. It's not Joe who Ryan is following at all. It's Kate that he's following. Oh, God. Oh, That's oh good, isn't it? God. And, yeah, no, it is good. Oh, fuck. I'm really nervous. Well, yeah. He's obviously following both of them now that he put a gun to Joe's head. But, yeah, yeah. he's following Kate. Also, like, so he, he followed her to her house, right, and put a gun to her head. So, obviously, he knows that she lives in that big fancy or he, house. Yeah, I thought that. Or he just follows her and just follows her to that destination. Guys, or that he probably knows because it's, it's an OCG gaff and he's part of the OCG. So, he probably did know about that house. But imagine yeah. showing and that, also, that CCTV to AC12. Be like, look at Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't following at that moment. And I seen a couple of people on Twitter being like, did... did AC12 not have surveillance on Ryan and how was he allowed to put a gun to Joe's head and shove her into her flat because Chloe made an, a statement I thought I had it in my um, recap yes about that, resources being stretched yeah, yeah exactly about resources being stretched and the fact that they didn't have the manpower to follow him around the clock yeah so that obviously happened during one of those uh, speaking surveillance. Speaking of Chloe, a lot of emails this week uh, thinking of Chloe is the leak. So Jackie Mitchell simply saying, is Chloe the leak? Uh, Alex says, Chloe's the leak. Her comment about how the information about the op could have come from within anti-corruption as possible guilt after the death of her colleague, be it an accident, being bent or being blackmailed. It's certainly not unheard of for a planned for non-violent convoy hijack turning nasty. Denton anyone? And Hastings, love you pal, but AC12 doesn't have the best track record in not having a leak so it's probably worth double checking at the very least which is a great point <laughs> Colin Dunn says glad to see Steve and Chloe survived the shootout I know a lot of people are suspicious of Chloe however I think here she was looking for threats and thought the Range Rover was dodgy as for the sniper if you watch they were waiting for someone to open the door as Lakewell was the target so Chloe had managed to open it she would have been shot instead of uh, Jonesy so Colin making the point there that it wasn't unusual 
for Chloe to spot that Range Rover down that laneway because they were in a convoy and they were on the lookout. Yeah, that's true. And also, uh, Chloe seemed genuinely so upset when Jonesy was killed. Yeah. That single tear going down her face because that could have been her. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the big theory this week, guys, every one of the emails is talking about Joe's blood relative. We've got a really long but fascinating email from Aaron Lang that I'm going to start with. The rest of these then, they're much, much shorter. But Aaron says, love the podcast and wanted to share a few of my theories about Joanne Davison's possible relative. Based on the general DNA database search and a bit of research into familial genetics, I'm thinking the relationship will be parent-child, full sibling, both with 50% shared DNA, half sibling or aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, which is 25% shared DNA. The other options are fraternal twins or grandparent-grandchild, but given the relative ages of the people it could be, I doubt these would make much sense. I also doubt it would be a first cousin, as this only shares 12.5% DNA, which is more subject to chance than a match. In terms of who the mystery relative could be, it's been narrowed down to a he. And given it was said the DNA was stored on other police databases, I think that excludes any serving police officers. Also assuming it's a character we've met before and not someone just mentioned off screen because of the powerful mother of God, I've narrowed it down to characters I think could possibly make sense, can't exclude. She lists quickly. John Corbett. Their birthdays are too close to be full siblings, but not close enough for fraternal twins. Doc Cotton. Don't have many theories about this, other than I can't exclude him. Danny Waldron. This could tie back into the paedophile ring and Sans view, which I feel hasn't been properly resolved. Some other former police officers I think could be considered include Patrick Fairbank as a father or an uncle. Mm. Derek Hilton, Mike Dryden or Nigel Morton could be a way to get him back from Spain. Okay, thank you for that email, Erin. Claire Dickinson also gives us a really detailed explanation of DNA profiles. She says, The Police Amendment Regulations 2015 Act allows a DNA profile to be retained for 12 months after the police officer to which it relates has ceased to serve as an officer after which, presumably, it's deleted. So this could bring back into play former coppers, but only if they're on the nominal database and have been left for more than 12 months. So it could mean Dot, Morton, has he been charged with fraud over his disability benefits? Corbett, Hargreaves, Dryden, Waldron and Hilton. If you do a bit Guys, of... Yeah. She's the image of Dot. I don't know. She actually is the image of Dot. Now, this isn't my favourite theory and I don't know how I feel, but like they both are... Fair hair, brown eyes, like they're very similar looking. Okay. Uh, And like, look at him doing the BBC pod now at the minute. And I don't know, they could just be bringing that character back into the minds of the nation. Is she his ex from forensics? But that's not <laughs> a blood be, relation. No, it's not a blood relation. That would be weird. I do want the answer to that. Though. <laughs> There's Is a that twist. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Has that come up in any of the um, emails? Not to get off point, but I do want to talk about, Jed said that we would see someone in this season. Yeah, a couple of emails this spoken. week did mention oh, Dot's ex in forensics. Yeah. Um, so Claire carries on to say, if you do a bit of digging on Google, it appears the viability of the cells, right, this gets deep. The viability of the cells you'd extract DNA from depends on environmental conditions like pH, temperature, microbial activity, moisture. And depending on these factors, the cells may last from just an hour to a couple of years. So if the source is something that would only last a short period of time, it would rule out anyone who's in jail unless someone has obtained the DNA and planted it and anyone who is dead like Hunter Hargreaves. If on the other hand, if the source was something that could have been there for years, then they're all potentially back in play. 
Mother of God. Yeah, so, but that would go back to, do you remember Jill was trying to trap Ted? So th- we've seen this through line of duty that they do yeah. store people's do like sperm DNA. or whatever to, to keep. To plant DNA. Yeah. But to match DNA is a whole other thing. You can't. It, but if it was yeah. planted in the flat, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's something to, to consider. To connect Joe to the OCG, yeah. like to have her. Yeah. Oh. So obviously most people this week have all said uh, Tommy Hunter and Mike Dryden. So there's no point in going through all them. But like that is the majority of people have said Tommy Hunter followed by Mike like Dryden. Guys, was Hilton Scottish? I no. I looked on the line of duty wicket. He didn't sound Scottish. Yeah, I didn't think so either, but apparently he grew up in Scotland. Oh, well, look. Who did? According to a random website, uh, Hilton. Derek Hilton. Oh. Uh, Samuel Johnson says, I've got an alternative theory. Cast back to episode one with the youths who robbed the bookies. We saw from their <laughs> files that they're in a care home. We also know from Joe's file that she was in a care home. There's been mentions of paedophilia and Jimmy Savile throughout the series with the links and flashbacks to Fairbank and the sex abuse of young boys at Sandsview. Perhaps Gail Vella was looking into much wider spread sex abuse at care homes with the collusion of senior police officers ultimately leading her to uh, leading to her demise with Osborne being the one who ordered the hit. Perhaps Davidson is a victim of such abuse. She is the mother to Jake, the guy from outside the bookies who got interviewed in this episode. Why else bring him back? Being a victim, she put Jake into care as she was just young herself, went into the police to make a difference, but was manipulated by the OCG to protect her son. Saw from her reaction in that armed arrest in episode one when she was like, shit, shit, shit. And uh, Samuel says, I suspect she'd feared the worst that her son was killed. Oh my God. Um, that Speaking care of- home thing though was just a theory. That's not They're not all from the same care home. They're okay. from the same area. Okay. But I did say that earlier I said maybe she's related to your man yeah could she be related to Ryan like yes. is that a well here we go and enter the podcast Taryn who Buckley who says I think the DNA belongs to Ryan who could have been in the house and is potentially Joe's son the result yeah. of a teenage pregnancy whilst she was in care fathered by a top ranking police officer or high profile individual so yes Hannah it could be Okay, because I'm here's where my questioning is coming from as a DI, right? Why would that DNA be in that house? So, did they test her DNA or did they find they yes, tested okay, they just found her DNA? Yes, they tested her and DNA and put it into the system. And then when they put it into the system, oh, right. they saw that there was a blood relative who they'd already interviewed. Oh, well, then I'm not. Very good police officer because I'm like Ryan could have been snooping around for Edith's house like that makes sense and then they could have found his DNA but they didn't find that yeah so that's my problem but at the same time how good would would that be of a twist if Ryan if Joe basically ends up being Ryan's mom yeah. and Ryan is like torturing her essentially yeah um, a couple of people think um, that the DNA match will be to fa- uh, Patrick Fairbanks Robert West and Mia Fabrizio or two of those people uh, Dave Perry says what if Joe and Kate are twins but they didn't know it would have similar identical DNA separated at birth one in a foster home etc etc no, do up we need a twin cest storyline at 9pm tw- on a twin cest <laughs> twin cest <laughs> Oh my god! But it would have come up in the database the first yeah. the first check. Uh, Mark Warburton says, uh, "What if Dot had a twin sister, or Joe is oh, the sister of like someone Dot. who also grew up in Soundsview Children's Home?" There's a lot linking back to the children's home. Uh, two more on the DNA uh, d- uh, match. Uh, Colin Smith says, "Could Joe be a relative, possibly sister of Jimmy Lakewell? She ends up being involved in the OCG because she was protecting Jimmy while he's in prison, and that's why Ryan came to tell her that Jimmy got whacked." And to add another potential line of discussion Joe was the original 
original person who got Gail Vella onto police corruption because they were in a relationship. She had that line about not trusting other coppers and has been forced into working for them since Vella's murder. And that is why Jimmy felt comfortable talking to Gail because she was in a relationship with Joe, his sister. <gasps> Jesus! <gasps> That's very good. Did anyone um, have any Danny Waldron theories? Because I would love if it was Danny. Because yeah, a few people did mention Danny Waldron in their email theories this week. I have a very interesting piece of evidence that could link to Danny Waldron. Um, Okay, I have one more on the DNA match, and then I have one final comment uh, rather than a theory. So Louise Bennett, take your time. I'm glued. Louise Bennett says the DNA match has to be Jackie Laverty. So Louise says, if you turn to page 12 in your folders. Oh my God. They are close enough in age to be sisters or at a stretch, teenage pregnancy, possibly with Tommy Hunter. Steve said it was a nominal match, meaning someone who was charged or cautioned, not a police person, according to Louise. Uh, There has to be something the OCG have over Joe. So we'll do what we did to your sister will be a strong enough threat. There has to also be a reason, Louise says, for Jackie Lav's freezer to have been yes, mentioned yeah. and dragged back into this season. Yeah. A- and then to put that smeg in her fake apartment. Yeah. Like, that's very yeah. good. Like, guys, like, we'd love that. Wouldn't we'd we? We'd be screaming. I would love that. I'd love Danny Waldron. And I would love Ryan. Yeah. Okay, finally, this isn't a theory, but an, uh, an amazing comment from Erin McElhatton. She says, not a theory. Uh, my dad and his friend have done loads of extra work in Northern Ireland. Uh, they both had fun roles in Line of Duty <gasps> Season 3. Oh my God, oh my God. The best ever. My dad's friend drove the van that brought Danny Waldron and his squad <gasps> to the killing of Ronan Murphy. Shut up. Guys, wait for this. Oh my gosh. Danny May said his driving was class. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's what we need to sign up to do, guys. My dad does that and he's been in mad things. Aaron then goes on to say, My dad was the guy beside Lindsay Denton in the Dole office who was effing and blinding. <laughs> he was raging as he's Northern Irish and he improvised all those lines and was really proud of himself. Then when he watched <laughs> it on telly, they dubbed him over with an English accent. <gasps> oh my You'd god, be fuming. Ow. My God. <laughs> And guys, that wraps up my email theories for this week. There were loads. Thank you for all of your emails. Uh, shrinepod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for all of your social theories. I'm going to start with one that is amazingly detailed, sent in to us by Eleanor Crossland. Um, this, I think, made its way into the radio. Was it was the Radio Times theory. Oh, did Digital, digital spy, spy pick digital up on this? Spy. Yeah. Okay, so she says, I believe Gail Vella, inspired by the True Crime podcast, started digging into police crime and recruitment figures. As a result, she questioned Osborne on recruitment figures, but was not satisfied with his answers. She investigated further and found an alarming number of recruits were from foster care homes. So thinking back, Danny Waldron was in care and went on to become a police officer. Moreover, Ryan was put back into care, but was still involved with the OCG and subsequently recruited into the police on their behalf. After finding the link between the foster care system and the police, she looked into the Fairbank case, which she previously reported on. She found a social care worker killed himself, allegedly, after reporting the abusers to the police, but deducted that the police and the OCG killed him, maybe even figuring out who it was. Okay, 
So we know that she clearly interviewed uh, Sindwani uh, because she yeah. was curious about the case. She found out that the police and the OCG were working together to exploit vulnerable kids in foster care systems. Joe Davidson herself one, was one of these foster kids. This would explain why she chucked the wine glass at the picture of her mum. Uh, she blames her mum for being the reason that she was put into the care system in the first place. When telling Farida that she didn't have any family, she could have been accounting for the fact that her mother never really looked after her whilst legally being listed as her next of kin. Mm. We assume her mum was kidnapped or something, but what if the reason Davidson is following out the OCG commands be- is because she has been doing it her whole life and knows what they are capable of and their full reach in the police. So she's feeding Kate information to put her on track to reveal a bigger conspiracy, basically manipulating Kate, XAC12 otherwise, to figure out the connection between the foster care system, the OCG and the police. Foster kids would have been easier to control. The ones who were savvier, i.e. the caddy and Davidson, were groomed and put into the police to rise up the ranks. The hill could have been used as a place to promote these persons to higher standings within the police. Other kids, uh, the Banks brothers and Lisa McQueen, were put into the OCG as lower rank muscle men. Balaclava men. Uh, Leaks were down to Lomax. He could be related to the caddy's wife. And the armed robbers we saw in the episode one may have been foster kids used by the OCG. It would be an interesting one for Jed to lead the viewers on a path that Davidson is doing for herself. However, maybe she is trying to save current foster kids from reaching the same fate as herself and being trapped in a system represented uh, by her crying in the car in which they are manipulated and groomed. The foster care system is one that could be easily accessed and used by police if they so wished. The foster system theory is not one I've seen going around. It's definitely a stab in the dark, but regardless, crazier things have happened. I loved that theory so much when I read it. It's amazing, and I think that list has to come back. Um, okay, Twitter user Kendall Mint Kate um, added to this, and she says, I really love this theory, and it was one I thought of as a motive for Gail Vela's death. However, Jimmy mentioned that it was something that the police would prefer to be accused of racism than coming out. Um, my money is on a cover-up of the Greek Lane murders back in season, season four, oh, season one. Oh, maybe season wrong. one. Now, some clear, some theories about Chloe. Now, I know you touched on this earlier, Brandon. Um, it's been pointed out a few times uh, by Lolly, who tweeted us that in episode one, Chloe gets a call saying that Farida's downstairs to speak to Steve, and an image that looks like it could be the Chiz is on her computer. If so, how does she know who who he is before he was identified? Yeah, that's something that's come up a lot. So I just thought I'd mention that. Now, in terms of the whole gun workshop thing, John Davies has been on and says he reckons that the AFO who filmed Dot's dying declaration is the owner of this big gun workshop. Well, he was credited in the first episode. We did talk about that in a previous podcast. Yeah. Okay, moving on to Wise now. Ellie Bond says, interesting that Wise is not credited on IMDb after last night's episode and Sintwani only makes it as far as 6.5. Could Wise be related <laughs> to Joe? How do we know he only gets to six and a half? <laughs> I'm not sure. What? Uh, but could he be related to Joe? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, another Ellie, Ellie Mitchell says, I know there are so many questions that we want answers to, but honestly, the one that's weighing on my mind is why is Andrea Wise's office carpeted like a Weatherspoons? It is carpeted like a Weatherspoons. It would give you a headache. It's the most horrible office. A theory about Tony Gates. Stephen P on Twitter posted a screenshot from Buckles' phone showing that he rang Gates a few months after he died. The date is the 8th of November 2012. He's wondering if this is just a continuity error or something more serious. I think as we all know, there's there's probably never really, apart from the cars in episode one of this season, there's never really a continuity error. That would mean that Gates is still alive and he jumped out in front of like... 
Or was he just calling him to listen to his voicemail because he missed him? Maybe. How um, many days after Gates died? Oh, I'm not voice- sure. It's I think just, it was two days. Or oh, something. is it? Yeah, I, it's I just think the wrong I saw date. this theory doing the rounds. Um, Apple sticker also pointed out that uh, Campbell is the surname that Tommy Hunter took under witness protection. And there was a Paul Campbell in Buckles' call log as well. I don't know what that means, but a great observation. Possibly nothing. Lots of theories about Joe's blood relative. AC12 Ninja reckons Joe is Tommy Hunter's half-sister. Joe and Joe's father thought Tommy was Joe's full-blood brother for years, but Tommy turned out to be the product of an affair that Joe's mother had with Tommy's father. That's very detailed. Uh, Tony McAlinden wrote, I can't help but think that the Glasgow accent is a big clue. It's clearly Tommy, and that also puts Kate in an exposed position because her boyfriend's wife at the time of season two was taking OCG payoffs. Remember the whole affair? Yeah. 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 We, there is something about that whole situation though that was never really revisited and I'm like, there's more to that whole situation. We still, again, haven't seen any more of Kate's home life at all. No, nothing. Where is Kate living? Where is Kate's child? What is Kate's background? Why aren't we getting more information on she that? She opened her phone in front of Chris yeah. in part of this episode and I saw her wallpaper was of her with somebody else but I couldn't see it and I've watched it, it three times. Kid. It was yeah. her kid. Okay, I, I assumed it was her kid but it was blurring. Now, guys, next up, Degby Ross. Roberts on Twitter says that Joe's address given by Chloe in this episode is Croxford Street. Oh yeah, I saw this. Danny Waldron's address was five, drumroll, Croxon Street. But like, it's just an area. Like you're going to have people that will be living near each other or on the same street that don't have it is, any links. It's a detail but we didn't really need. Yeah. It's know? a detail we didn't need. That's not her house. Like I have such an issue with why she's living there. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? Or, where, you know, but is I just she living like there crazy. though? She only goes in there to use the laptop. Yeah, it doesn't look lived in at all. There's no. nothing out of place. Well, Ryan, yeah, good point. Good point. So, uh, Derb sent in a prediction and says that Joanne Davidson is going to be bumped off for becoming a liability by a mystery man inside her secure apartment. And I think, could it be that hairy man? Where is that hairy man, guys? <laughs> Who dropped off the burner phone? It just, yeah. And it just it loomed on him for too long. Where's that hairy man? Kaz says, we know that Joe's relative is a he and non-police. I feel Tommy Hunter is too obvious. Well, I didn't. So, I'm thinking Andrew Laverty, given that we had Jackie Laverty back in episode three. Help me, Tony. Help me, Tony. Um, Nat. Natalie Barnes says, I think Joe is related to Jimmy. It's his flat she's in. It's very glamorous. <gasps> he was yes. killed. He was killed because she said she wanted out. The rat thing was a warning to her and Buckles, but the re- because the reason that he's been kept safe in prison is because they've been blackmailing Joe. Shu uh, Dong Lee says, could it be Osborne? They keep mentioning Osborne. And Lakewell mentioned the race element in what Gail Vella was investigating. I guess she investigated Osborne's command over the Kareem Ali shooting which was the first ever scene of Line of Duty and somehow discovered the OCG was holding the safety of Davidson to blackmail him. Kelly on Twitter says the DNA match has to be someone pretty major to warrant that type of reaction from Ted. Obvious guesses. Tommy, sister of Dot perhaps, would link back to a care home, sister of Lee Banks. Um, Last Wolf in Somerset says Carly Kirk. Is she related to Carly Kirk? We know Carly Kirk is on the run. The one that Lindsay Denton was looking for. Stephen P says, I feel like they've set it up so we assume that one of Joe's relatives is one of the Scottish people 
Dryden Hunter. Um, mm. and But he thinks it's a it's a red herring or a Jed herring, as we like to say. Um, so do I. Allsop on Twitter says, Steve ends up being the link to the OCG and switches his London accent and goes full Glaswegian in the glass <laughs> box interview when he's found out it would it's be like amazing. It's like a Scooby-Doo moment. I was Scottish all parched. along. Um, now guys this is my observation it actually came to me in the middle of the night I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like oh my god was there an apparition I don't know did you have your little notebook like Jenny from Gogglebox yeah. <laughs> so oh, what a legend you know the return of, Jim, of Jimmy Lakewell okay Jimmy Lakewell Steve's injury that whole situation <laughs> it's really brought back the character in my mind that is Robert Denmore the balaclava man Salatuous girl that Ted shot dead at the end of season 4 who I think is the man that actually did throw Steve down throw the stairs Steve. Under yeah. Lakewell's orders, could he be Joe's blood relative? That concludes the social theories. Thank you so much to everyone who tweeted us and Instagrammed us this week at Shrine Pod. Um, Going to move on now to what Jed said. Yep. Pretty juicy, guys. Jed Mercurio has been speaking to Empire Magazine about the possibility of a seventh season of Line of Duty. Um, yes. And when asked if he has an end point in mind, Jed said the ending is something we've always talked about or sometimes talked about, but it depends on how the fans react to the show. To an extent, it's out of our hands and we have to be flexible and think when the time might be right. And that will have a large say in what form an ending might take. But I think Adrian has an end point in mind. I think he wants to walk into the sunset with some glass. Amorous co-star. I loved that. Jill. Oh, Ted and Jill. And now looking ahead at next week's episode, a preview synopsis of episode five reads, AC12 link Gail Vela's murder with a historic case of police corruption and Kate hatches a plan to tell once and for all if Joe is bent. They are closer than ever to cracking the case, but when Hastings' authority is undermined, it leaves his team in a potentially dangerous situation. Um, Hannah, you also mentioned that you were listening to the Pilot TV podcast this week and they have seen episode episode five and that they said there's another cliffhanger on the way um, and obviously the big news confirmed today is that Anna Maxwell Martin will be returning to the show for the remainder of the season to reprise her role as AC3 investigator DCS Patricia Carmichael we last saw Carmichael at the end of season five during the explosive finale where she was brought in to grill Ted um, along with our favourite fake Kate and Bent Tina who Steve ended up shooting in the tit in from the tit. the tit up like what yeah. aim he's got now um, well, her he's ar- upskilled during lockdown her arrival comes after the revelation that the three AC units are going to be merged into one cutting staff by 90% with Ted being forced into early retirement it looks like Carmichael is in pole position to become a big anti-corruption boss replacing our beloved Hastings and speaking about the news Anna Maxwell Martin said I actually think this is a lie I'm giving this a line of juicy even though it's not in the show Pat's back I can't remember what she's doing there nor would I be allowed to blab but <laughs> suffice to say she's got some new clobber and she's ready to bust some balls um, I just love Pat's back like she's Pat's forever back. now known as Pat Pat um, Jed has retweeted that news of Anna's return and he wrote it's not looking good for the gaffer meanwhile the BBC has shared a quote from Carmichael which I assume features in the next episode that states I don't mind ma'am or boss I'm not a fan of gaffer or governor um, there's also images that have been released she's of, taken over like that's her coming into IC12 yeah. and making that speech 
there's new images of next week's episode with Steve, Chris and Carmichael raiding a premises, which I'm assuming could be the gun workshop that's been mentioned several times in the last episode. And Ashley Bell reckons that Steve has actually been reissued to MIT after the merging of the AC units and Patricia has come on to lead that. It is really interesting to see those Steve, Chris and Carmichael. You're like, what is going on there? Steve is in jeans for a lot of the images that we've seen for the next episode. Yeah, he's wearing a lovely long Steve top. Really suits a, a round neck yeah, really suits him. Yeah, yeah. really good. Mm. And, also, and, guys, Craig Parkinson tweeted about Carmichael's return that her opening scene, quote, will have the nation throwing whatever they have to hand at the television. <laughs> so she is coming back within the first 10 seconds and causing mayhem. And finally, Suzanne Curley made an observation about the whole wardrobe situation. She says, Carmichael, Kate and Joe have all been wearing black turtlenecks this series. And uh, she's wondering if there's some ty- type of bent copper club with turtleneck uniform. I love these observations. <laughs> I love when people read too much And things. someone replied saying, ASOS 13, roll on episode five, fellas. I love it. Guys, do we each want to... I don't know if we're going to find out who this DNA yes, match do. is. So can we each give one name? I'm saying this. I actually don't have one. Hannah, do you have a name in mind? Who do you think is going to be Joe's blood relative? Starting with an asterisk, can I just say, Steph Corbett was brought back into this show, wasn't in the last episode. Mm. She's clearly bought, brought back for a reason. Could she be the relative? Like, she, she's not a nominal, though, that we know of, but I just feel like there's something suspicious there. I am going to say Doc Cotton because I think they are the image of each other, although I would love to be Ryan or okay. Danny. Okay, so Hannah's going Doc Cotton. Reb. I'm I going agree. Doc. Uh, I think Jackie Laverty was back for a reason. I think it could be Andrew Laverty, Danny <laughs> Waldron because of the address thing and also Daniel Mays was in one episode and left such an impact. I feel like it's one character in that. Like Lindsay Denton died over this list and it's never been mentioned again. I am obsessed with the list. So, I mean, between the seven that we listed there, Brendan, and whatever you And um, Robert Denmore, who I woke lads, up about. I'm just going to say one and one only. I'm going to stick with the main one that everyone is uh, saying, and I'm going to go with Tommy. Yeah. It's going to be one okay, of them so guys, hopefully, and if we're wrong on all of them, one then of them, listen. One, Tommy Ryan, Robert Denmore, Jackie Laverty, Steph Corbett. Who else did we say? Doc Cotton. Andrew Laverty, Harry Mann. Andrew Lavity, that hairy man. For fuck's sake. And anyone listed on IMDb who worked on Line of Duty produced by World Productions and Content Television between the years 2012 and 2021. It is and that's great that prediction, though. guys, okay? Okay, guys, that is it for this week's uh, Shrine of Duty. Over on at Shrine Pods Instagram, you've been entering to win a fabulous place on oh, a yes. script writing course with Jed Mercurio himself. With thanks to BBC Maestro, the winner is Emma Maskell. She said, to get inside the mind of the person who created some of the most compelling TV, also loved bodies, by the way, and learn how to structure a script that engenders all the theories. Yes, please. Well, Emma Congratulations. You've won yourself a place on Jed's writing drama for television with BBC uh, BBC Maestro. We will DM you the details and keep an eye on at Shrine Pod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter for another very exciting competition, which Lion of Duty fans will love. We will... uh, publish the details of those uh, this week. Uh, Quick Patreon shout out to some of our newest patron Kates, uh, including Aoife Ford, Alison Crawford, Yvonne Ellard, Callum, Liz McDonough, Emer Ryan, Kat and Barbara Vesey. Thank you all so much. If you would like to support us, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash shrine pod. Guys, I've just one more thing to mention here. Go. The, um... 
uh, QR code in the trailer. Yes. And the letter that re- revealed Osborne. Osborne yeah. has been sort of mentioned in in most episodes so far, but we have not seen him. He hasn't seen the light of day. But he's coming in at the end of this to take it all down. Will we see Osborne next week? Because he's he's so. got to come back. He's got to come back. I really hope so. Also, guys, I don't think we mentioned enough, but a grey jumper fruit of the loom. I am honestly going to go and order one now. They looked unbelievable. They really brought out Jimmy Lakewell's tan. Jimmy Lakewell. And also Lee Jimmy Banks Lakewell. as well. Yeah. Guys, they all looked absolutely unbelievable in Black Norm Prison. But uh, yeah, I think that Patricia Carmichael may see the arrive of Chief Constable Philip Osborne, who, as you said, Brendan, has been this sort of ominous presence. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, if we weren't doing this podcast, um, I wouldn't have found the letter in the trailer. And I would be watching this and probably the mentions of the the DCC would be going over my head. So for Philip Osborne to come back towards the end of this season and possibly to be revealed as H... I will be floored if we didn't have this podcast. I'm like, oh my God, it's him from season one who was Steve's boss who got him to lie. And I think it will be huge. But because we're so close to it, I think we're kind of aware. So I think it could be, I think it could be Osborne is going to come back in. They're going to be like, it was him. I hope he's inside this fridge in, in Joe Davidson's flat. Like I hope he's living in Joe Davidson's flat or some sort of shock because they've mentioned him a lot. Thomas it won't the be Tank Yeah. Also, guys, I did see a lot of people say on Twitter, well, not a lot, like a handful of people, like thinking that this might be the last season. But based on that interview clip that you read out there, Robert, interview snippet, I don't think it's going to be. I'm a little bit more relaxed about this. That didn't sound like the interview from a man that had written his final episode. So I don't even know if we will tie up the H thing at the end they, of this unless oh, it's going to take a, to. you know what though guys I but want to take a totally different turn then like but as know? we also said the other week like there aren't just a, a, a limited number of corrupt officers this will never be fully solved it continues so we're never going to get to the full end no like it's probably Osborne but to be honest with you I want Ted Hastings to fight for AC12 we can't be having them all merged together 90% of staff cut I want him to redeem himself and come in all guns blazing and solve the whole thing that's what I think I think if Ted Hastings and his team at AC12 can solve the Gail Vella murder as they repeatedly keep saying it's the highest ranking murder what is that line that they keep using the like most the high profile murder of in the, the most high history, profile yeah. murder yeah how can Andrea Wise as bent as she may be shut them down after that especially if they get Chief Constable Osborne out of office you know I just, and, and Carmichael's in cahoots with Wise cause, because remember at the end of season 5 she yeah. was like oh Ted you know like she, you know she was like this isn't over with Ted yeah, there's a very cozy photo of the two of them sitting in an interview room oh, together. So she's obviously Wilson's. placed. Yeah, she's Andrea's placed Carmichael in here now to kick up murder next week. But I think our Ted can fight back. That's my hope anyway. Lots to learn. Fingers crossed we get some more answers in episode five next week. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. End of your terminated. Go on. Piss off. This is TV worth talking about. So we want to hear what you have to say. Find Shrine Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ShrinePod. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.